This is the fourth part of our series on the parables of Jesus. And uh, today we're looking at one of the more famous parables, the parable of the sower. From Matthew 13, verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat there. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell among the path. The birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they had not much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. The crowd was large. The anticipation was intense. They kept coming, coming, pushing forward, coming forward to see Jesus. Finally, they have him backed up to the shore of the lake of Galilee. So he jumps into a boat and pushes off from shore and preaches to this great crowd of people from the boat, gently rocking. He teaches them in parables. Parables are little tiny stories that are fiction and made up to tell about what God is like. He told parables of the kingdom, of the nature of God. Jesus didn't use systematic theology. These parables are more like word pictures, like snapshots. He, try, he tried to describe this, this kingdom of God. He said it's, it's, it's like a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds that grows to this big tree. The kingdom of God is like finding a treasure in a field buried treasure, and you sell everything you have and you buy the field, so the treasure can be yours. It's like yeast working in a loaf of bread. You can't see it, but it's working. It's like a pearl of great price, a net full of fish. Barbara Brown Taylor has written beautifully about this parable. She says that parables both reveal and conceal the nature of God. There's something about them that reveals something, but they also are hidden and concealed in some way. Some people have surmised that Jesus taught in parables because he was always under the threat of being hauled away by the scribes and Pharisees and thrown into jail because they considered him a heretic. So he taught in a way that uh, perhaps the, the only certain kind of listeners could hear him. Those who listen with their hearts and not just with their minds. Years ago, I remember listening to NPR, All Things Considered, show. And they, and they talked about a new invention that had come out of England. This little black electronic box that had been invented that was called the Mosquito Tone Audio Projection Unit. And the Mosquito Tone Audio Projection Unit was something that was devised to emit a 17 kilohertz sound. Now, this
this frequency, this very, very high frequency, uh, could only be heard by those that were so 20 years or, or, or less. You know, as you get older, your hearing goes, and the first things to go are those high frequencies. So they developed this thing where it's a, it was a tone that young people could hear, but older people could not hear. So they would install these little boxes in places where they wanted to drive away teenagers. In front of a convenience store to keep t- teenagers from loitering around. They would put the, the little tone units. They wouldn't bother adults, but it drove the teenagers nuts, so they would leave. But of course, technology always has unintended consequences, doesn't it? Some industrious teenager found a way to download the mosquito tone onto his cell phone to use as the ringtone. And soon, thousands of teenagers downloaded the mosquito tone onto their cell phones. So they had a ringtone that was only audible to young people. They could take their phones into classes, and uh, they could be notified when a text message came. Their old teacher couldn't even hear what was going on. Unintended consequences. Parables are sort of like that ringtone. Sometimes people can hear them. Sometimes they can't. And perhaps it helps to have young, fresh ears to hear a parable. Sometimes we've been exposed to them so many times that, that we don't really hear the fresh good news that Jesus is proclaiming when he speaks. Maybe that's why he ended the parable by saying, let those who have ears to hear, hear. The traditional interpretation of this parable is that it's about four types of people. The four soils represent four types of Christians. There's the, the path, the hard path, the people where the, the, the word doesn't even sprout, doesn't even get going. Then there is the rocky soil, those who uh, become Christians, but uh, they're, they're drawn away by the cares of the world and they, they wilt eventually. There's those that are, that are in the thorns and the thorns grow up and choke them out. All the, all the temptations of the world choke, choke us out. And then there are some that are the good soil and they produce grain. And uh, the, the saying is, is always sort of like, well, you've got to try hard to be the good soil. You don't want to be that bad soil. You want to be the good soil, and you've got to make sure that you do that, that you, that you become the good soil. But Barbara Taylor has said, what if the parable isn't about you? What if it's not about you? What if it's about God? The nature of God. What if Jesus told this story for us to understand something about the nature of God. If that's true, then the God that he talked about is foolish, flinging, unfastidious, and extravagant. This parable is about the God who is enough and who has given us enough. When you look at it, this sower is a person, he's a farmer, who achieved 25% success rate. Who would farm like this? where three-quarters of your seed doesn't even have a chance to grow, only 25% success rate. Where, where is that acceptable? If Ford, Ford Motor Company made cars and only 25% of the cars worked, how would that go over? If four people go to a restaurant for dinner and only one of the meals is edible, would you go back? Would you do it? What if your financial advisor came to you and said, hey, only lost 75% of the money. 
still got 25%, okay? The only place where a 25% success rate is acceptable is in the truly bizarre game of baseball. In baseball, you can bat 25%, 250, and make millions of dollars. It's one of the only places in the world that's like that. God is a sower, and the parable is about God, and the sower is not efficient, but he is foolish. We can read this as a parable of waste, but Jesus offers it as a description of God's love expressed by giving us enough of everything that we need. There's a myth of scarcity in this world, and this type of a parable is meant to explode that myth of scarcity. When I was in seminary, a movie came out called Oh God, with George Burns playing God and John Denver playing a, a grocery store clerk. And uh, if you haven't seen it in many, many years, go see if you can find it on Netflix or something, because it's had the best theology of any movie I've ever seen in my entire life. It dealt with real theological problems in, in, in this movie, in the dialogue. For example, the presence of evil in the world. John Denver, who's a skeptic, he doesn't believe in God, but when he finally meets God, he, he says to him, God, why do you allow children to starve? And God says to him, I don't, you do. He says, I gave you all enough. I gave you enough for everyone, but you won't share it. You won't share it. If you talk to agronomists, you'll find that that's true. The world easily has the possibility to feed every human being. We are not overpopulated. Our problem is not an agricultural one. It has to do with transportation, logistics, and most of all, the lack of the political will of rich countries to help poor countries. The lack of that will. That's the kind of thing that we're, we're talking about. And so uh, we need to learn how to share with other people. That's part of the message of this thing. The message is that there's enough in this world. God has given us plenty, and we need to spread it around. It also talks about how God works foolishly and extravagantly. Um, you can see this when Jesus left. When Jesus ascended into heaven, did you notice that there was no uh, strategic plan? There was no long-range vision. There was nothing as to how the message was going to, get to keep on going. You say to him, Jesus, what's your, what's your exit plan? Well, he says, I, I taught 12 guys about God. And I told him to go out and tell everybody else. That's it. That was the plan. You know, 12 guys, go out and spread the news. Do the stuff. And here, 2,000 years later, we have 32% of the world is Christian. It's, it's the, the largest religion. But uh, it's going down every year now. The largest, fastest growing category uh, of religion, uh, the surveys show, is none. Every year, less and less people describe themselves as Christians, and more and more people describe themselves as having no religion at all. That's the state of things that, that Jesus left here. There's no list of likely prospects uh, or any of those kind of things. God works foolishly. There's a story about when a man is ordained in the church of Scandinavia, and they lay the hands on him, and they do the prayer, and at the end of the service, when the hands are removed, 
the candidate is supposed to go out immediately in the street and start preaching the gospel to anyone that he sees. It's kind of crazy, right? But the idea is that of all the things that we do, there is nothing more important than spreading the good news of Christ to the world. That's the most important thing. That's why the Apostle Paul said, God has chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save the world. So God foolishly throws the word everywhere and gets unimpressive results, very unimpressive results, but it doesn't matter because it's hard to hear the gospel. Perhaps we are like the characters in an off-Broadway play where a man and his wife are in a room, the window is open, and through the window they can hear the sounds of the Salvation Army band playing a hymn, playing a Jesus song. The man gets up, goes over to the window, and closes it. He says, I don't really see what Jesus could do for us. Sometimes we feel that way. We don't really see what Jesus could do for us. Can't fill our tanks with cheap gas, stop corruption, keep the rich from messing up financial institutions, any of those kind of things. It's easy to get discouraged. Harry Emerson Fosdick is one of the greatest preachers of our century. He was at Riverside Church in New York City for 40 years. And when he retired, somebody asked him how he felt about his ministry, his work. He said, well, I've been preaching for 40 years, but the world's still a mess. It's still a mess. We can all feel that way. Mother Teresa said, don't think that by your little acts of kindness, you will change the world. But it's still so important that you do them. A man named Kent Keith wrote a thing called the Paradoxical Commandments. He said, people are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. People favor underdogs, but follow only top dogs. Fight for a few underdogs anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. Give the world the best you have and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best that you have anyway. I think what the parable tells us is that we shouldn't be overly concerned about results. Just, just start flinging. Start throwing the seed. Sow things. Don't worry about everything being perfect. You know, results are hard to me- measure when it comes to a spiritual thing like the kingdom of God. Maybe it's like planting a sequoia seed. When you plant a sequoia seed, it takes a long time to see the, the fruits of your, your effort, doesn't it? When I was in college, I got my first job in ministry as a youth minister at a little church in Woodland Hills, California. Youth ministry is hard, but it's especially hard when you don't know what you're doing. I had no idea uh, what I was doing, and uh, but we eventually got a pretty good little group there, like about 25 kids or so, and uh, you know we'd we'd have fun, we'd play games and have fun. Then there would become the, the the teaching time, the time when kids are supposed to sit down, be quiet, and then I was to teach them about God. And there was one girl in the youth group who was the most irritating kid I have ever known in my entire life. She never shut up. 
she was always talking, whispering, giggling. You know, she'd be in the back there. I'd be trying to talk, you know, teach a Bible lesson, and she'd be just disrupting things. You'd say, can you be quiet? And it was Lori Barnes. Lori, you just got to be quiet there for a second here. You know, uh, then she'd start talking again, doing, doing the same thing. Every week it was the same deal. She was there strictly for social reasons. And uh, ten years later, I went back to that church because they had a reunion. 50th anniversary or something, and they brought all the old ministers and youth ministers back. I'm in the fellowship hall, uh, and uh, this young woman walks up to me, and she says, Hey, Bill, do you remember me? I'm Lori Barnes. I said, Yeah, Lori, I remember. <laughs> I, I, I do remember you. Uh, yes. Um, um, she goes, I want, I'm so glad to see you. I wanted to tell you something. Did you, you know, I'm graduating from college this year, and I'm enrolled next year to go to Fuller Seminary, and I'm going into the ministry. I said, really? <laughs> really? Yeah, she said, I want you to know that the first place that God ever became real to me, that I ever really experienced God, was in that junior high youth group that you met. I said, that's amazing. <laughs> if I hadn't gone back to that reunion, I would have never known the seed that I planted sprouted up and grew. I would have had no idea. A lot of the times in our life, we plant seeds and we don't have the, the luxury or the joy of seeing the results. That's why I tell all of our Sunday school teachers, don't, don't give up. The worst kid in your class become the, could become the next Billy Graham. You never know. You have no idea. The, the, the results are often invisible. Don't wait till everything is perfect before you throw the seeds. I like to imagine a prequel to this parable. The sower goes out to sow the seeds, but he notices that there's a, an area that's hard, hard earth. So he gets a hoe and he starts to break it up. Then he notices that there's a lot of rocks in the field. So he starts to clear the field of all the rocks. Then he notices that there's all these weeds, these thorns, brambles. So he starts pulling the weeds out. And eventually it's dark, and he has to go home. He comes back the next day, and he's going to sow, but then he notices there's still a bunch of rocks. There's still a bunch of weeds. There's still a path. But he doesn't care. He grabs the bag of seeds and starts going, he just starts flinging those seeds. He doesn't care where they land. Some of them land on the thorns, some of the paths on the rocks. He doesn't care. He just keeps flinging those seeds, and he had never been happier. He was blown away by that which grew. He celebrated 25% of his efforts that worked. Maybe that's why Jesus said, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Just keep sowing.